Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the English Students' Digest, the podcast where we discuss everything you need to be successful in English class. We've got some dramatic music playing in the background here. Um, It's a Beethoven composition, and today we're going to be talking about some new vocab words that are obviously fun to say, Um, reviewing parts of speech in terms of grammar, talking about storylines in terms of literary structure, and also how that plays into our text of the day. Alright, so let's start with a parts of speech review. There are eight different parts of speech, um, and today we're just going to be uh, discussing the first few, just, you know, the ones you use the most and um, are just best to know in general. So these are going to include... Um, nouns, verbs, adjectives, and pronouns. Uh, we can get into adverbs, prepositions, conjunctions, and interjections another time. Right now is just going to be an introductory review. Um, so let's get started. Alright, let's get into parts of speech. So first of all, we're going to be talking about nouns, uh, which are basically the base of our language. It's what we talk about. People, places, things, and ideas. So people, first of all, my mom is a noun. Um, My dog is a noun. She's not a person, but she's still a living thing. Um, That cheesecake factory is a noun. School is a noun. These are all things. They're static, um, kind of pieces of time, um, and they're not really objects, but they are still nouns. Um, then we get into, um, things and ideas. So, like, a thing is like an object. Like, the phone I'm using is an object, um, and therefore a noun. Um, and then we have ideas. So, like, what's an idea? That's a noun. Um, like, ideologies are nouns um the idea of the social contract contract is a noun um the french revolution is a noun even though it's not kind of something that you can grasp onto or hold it's still a noun it's still a thing it's an idea etc so those are nouns now let's talk about verbs verbs are actions they're things that are done um it's not like a noun because nouns are things that you can grab onto, but a verb is something, it's, a, it's an action being done, it's not a physical part of life. Um, so, for example, in a sentence you can say, the dog jumped over the log. The log is a noun, the dog is a noun, the verb, the action, is the jumped. The dog, who is a noun, did the verb jumped over the log. So jumped is the verb. Now also in this sentence we have an adjective. Um, We are talking about how the dog was jumping. He was jumping over the log. He wasn't jumping under the log. He wasn't jumping across the log. The adjective in this case it is talking about location but it is still an adjective. It is describing how the dog jumped over the log. So over would be an adjective, but adjectives also refer to color, to mood. So um, sad, when someone is sad, sad is the adjective. They are being described as sad. When um, an apple is green, green is the adjective. The apple is being described as green. 
Um, but if you were to say sadness, sad, you wouldn't say someone is sadness unless you were talking figuratively. Um, sadness is a noun, not a verb, um, because sadness is being described as an idea, uh, as a thing. Not it is not being used to describe something else. And then the last part of speech that we're going to talk about today are pronouns. And I think pronouns are a little more important, especially um, today. Uh, how you refer to someone. So when you're conjugating verbs, you're going to conjugate them differently based on someone's pronouns. Whether you're talking about yourself, you would conjugate it for I. Whether you were talking about you, you'd conjugate it for you. Um, and then there are for her, for him, for them, for us. Those are different pronouns. So... I, um, you, her, him, them, we, us, um, them, plural, like, they're, those are the pronouns, it's how you refer to someone, it's not a noun, it's not, like, something you can grasp onto, it's not an object, it is not a verb, it's not an action, it's not an adjective because it's not describing a person, it's how you refer to them when you, you could say, I could say, Lila did this today, but you would just say she did this today rather than saying someone's name. You would use their pronouns. So that is our review of parts of speech for today. Now our next segment of um, our episode today is going to be our words of the day. We have two words today. Um, I picked them for this episode because they do have a little bit to do with our text of the day. Now, our first word today is finagle. Finagle is a verb, um, and it means to obtain something by indirect or involved means. So, for example, I finagled a ride home. You know, I tamed it. I obtained it, excuse me. Um, the other definition for finagle is to obtain something by trickery. So, for example, he finagled his way into the concert. So, you know, in both uh, definitions there, the keywords are to obtain. One is just talking about obtaining something by trickery, and one is just talking about obtaining it by direct or involved means. So, um, the one definition that relates more to our story today is to obtain something by trickery because it is a murder mystery there's some suspicious actions going on there our next uh word of the day is paradox paradox is a noun so again this is a thing an idea um the now the definitions for this are a little bit confusing but we're gonna go through First definition is a tenet contrary to a received opinion. So, it, there's a theme throughout these definitions. A paradox is something that contradicts something else. So, the second definition, a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, and yet is perhaps true. So, something that there's some sort of contradiction in there. Um, to uh, Definition 2B is... A self-contradictory statement that at first seems true. So all of these have to do with um, contradiction. And to see is an argument that apparently derives self-contradictory conclusions by valid deduction from acceptable pre premises. You know, that's just a lot of words. But key concept is contradiction. Um, one 
such as and definition three is one um having seemingly contradictory qualities or phases again keyword contradictory so a paradox um let's talk about the grandfather paradox now the grandfather paradox doesn't really have anything to do especially with english but it is a kind of interesting paradox and i think it gives a good example of what a paradox is the grandfather paradox has to do with time travel and it's this idea that if you went back in time and killed your grandfather there's a complete contradiction to your existence because if you killed your grandfather then you would have never existed to come go back in time and kill your grandfather but if your grandfather isn't killed and you still exist then he should die you know it's confusing um but it's just this kind of theory that goes along with time travel and its existence the important part of the grandfather paradox is just that it is inherently contradictory there is not a solution to it um if you try and say well if you killed your grandfather then you wouldn't exist then you wouldn't exist to kill your grandfather which means your grandfather wouldn't be dead which means you would still exist it's completely contradictory there is no right um you know like concept within it so that's an example of a paradox the important thing isn't understanding the grandfather paradox here. The important thing is understanding that a paradox is something that is inherently contradictory. Now let's talk about our text of the day. Um, our text today is called In a Grove. It's by Ryunosuke Akutagawa, who was a Japanese writer. Uh, unfortunately, Ryunosuke Akutagawa is now dead. Um, he wrote this over 100 years ago, so it is... Um, public domain, so I will not be getting uh, copyrighted for it. Um, our story today is a murder mystery. Um, there is no solution. Also, the author is dead, so we're not going to get a solution to this. He cannot give us one. So there's a lot of speculation that goes on here, and um, a lot of the details within the story are inherently contradictory, and it seems almost like a paradox, and the characters do some finagling. So let's think about our words of the day as we're going through this text, and let's get into it. testimony of a woodcutter questioned by a high police commissioner. Yes, sir. Certainly. It was I who found the body. This morning, as usual, I went to cut my daily quota of cedars when I found the body in a grove in a hollow in the mountains. The exact location? About 150 meters off the Yamashina stage road. It's an out-of-the-way grove of bamboo and cedars. The body was lying flat on its back, dressed in a bluish silk kimono and a wrinkled headdress of the Kyoto style. A single sword stroke had pierced the breast. The fallen bamboo blades around it were stained with bloody blossoms. No, the blood was no longer running. The wound had dried up, I believe, and also a gadfly was stuck fast there, hardly noticing my footsteps. You ask me if I saw a sword or any such thing? No, nothing, sir. I only found a rope at the root of a cedar nearby. And, well, in addition to a rope, I found a comb. That was all. Apparently, he must have made a battle of it before he was murdered, because the grass and fallen bamboo blades had been trampled all around. A horse was nearby? No, sir. It's hard enough for a man to enter, let alone a horse.
The testimony of a woodcutter, questioned by a high police commissioner. Yes, sir, certainly, it was I who found the body. This morning, as usual, I went to cut my daily quota of cedars when I found the body in a grove in a hollow in the mountains. The exact location? About 150 meters off the Yamashina stage road. It's an out-of-the-way grove of bamboo and cedars. The body was lying flat on its back, dressed in a bluish silk kimono and a wrinkled headdress of the Kyoto style. A single sword stroke had pierced the breast. The fallen bamboo blades around it were stained with bloody blossoms. No, the blood was no longer running. The wound had dried up, I believe. And also, a gadfly was stuck fast there, hardly noticing my footsteps. You ask me if I saw a sword or any such thing? No, nothing, sir. I only found a rope at the root of a cedar nearby. And, well, in addition to a rope, I found a comb. That was all. Apparently, he must have made a battle of it before he was murdered, because the grass and fallen bamboo blades had been trampled all around. A horse was nearby? No, sir. It's hard enough for a man to enter, let alone a horse. man questioned by a high police commissioner. The man that I arrested? He's a notorious brigand called Tajimaru. When I arrested him, he had fallen off his horse. He was groaning on the bridge at Awataguchi. The time? It was in the early hours of last night. For the record, I might say that the other day I tried to arrest him, but unfortunately he escaped. He was wearing a dark blue silk kimono and a large plain sword. And, as you see, he got a bow and arrows somewhere. You say that this bow and these arrows look like the ones owned by the dead man? Then Tajimaru must be the murderer. The bow wound with leather strips, the black liquor quiver, the seventeen arrows with hawk feathers. These were all in his possession, I believe. Yes, sir, the horse is, as you say, a sorrel with a fine mane. A little beyond the stone bridge, I found the horse, grazing by the roadside, with his long, long rein dangling. Surely, there is some providence in his having been thrown by the horse. Of all the robbers prowling around Kyoto, this Tajimaru has given the most grief to the women in town. Last autumn, a wife came to the mountain back of the Pandora of the Toribi Temple, presumably to pay a visit, was murdered along with a girl. It has been suspected that it was his doing. If this criminal murdered the man, you cannot tell what he may have done with the man's wife. May it please your honor to look into this problem as well. The testimony of an old woman questioned by a high police commissioner. Yes, sir, that corpse is the man who married my daughter. He does not come from Kyoto. He was a samurai in the town of Kokufu in the province of Wakasa. His name was Kanazawa, no, Takahiko, and his age was 26. He was of a gentle disposition, so I am sure he did nothing to provoke the anger of others. My daughter? Her name is Masago, and her age is 19. She is a spirited, fun-loving girl, but I am sure she has never known any man except Takahiko. She has a small, oval, dark-complected face, with a mole at the corner of her left eye. Yesterday, Takahiko left for Wakasa with my daughter. 
What bad luck is it that things should have come to such a sad end? What has become of my daughter? I'm resigning to giving up my son-in-law as lost, but the fate of my daughter worries me sick. For heaven's sake, leave no stone unturned to find her. I hate that robber Tajimaru, or whatever his name is. Not only my son-in-law, but my daughter. Her later words were drowned in tears. Tajimaru's Confession I killed him, but not her. Where is she gone? I can't tell. Oh, wait a minute. No torture can make me confess what I don't know. Now things have come to such a head, I won't keep anything from you. Yesterday, a little past noon, I met that couple. Just then, a puff of wind blew and raised her hanging scarf, so that I caught a glimpse of her face. Instantly, it was again covered from my view. That may have been one reason. She looked like a bodhisattva. At that moment, I made up my mind to capture her, even if I had to kill her man. Why? To me, killing isn't a matter of such great consequence as you might think. When a woman is captured, her man has to be killed anyway. In killing, I use the sword I wear at my side. Am I the only one who kills people? You, you don't use your swords. You kill people with your power, with your money. Sometimes you kill them on the pretext of working for their good. It's true they don't bleed. They are in the best of health, but all the same you've killed them. It's hard to say who is greater sinner. You or me? An ironic smile. But it would be good if I could capture a woman without killing her man. So I made up my mind to capture her and do my best not to kill him. But it's out of the question on the Yamashina stage road. So I managed to lure the couple into the mountains. It was quite easy. I became their traveling companion, and I told them that there was an old mound in the mountain over there, and that I had dug it up and found many mirrors and swords. I went on to tell them I'd buried the things in a grove behind the mountain, and that I'd like to sell them at a low price to anyone who would care to have them. Then, you see, isn't greed terrible? He was beginning to be moved by my talk before he knew it. In less than half an hour, they were driving their horse toward the mountain with me. When he came in front of the grove, I told him that the treasures were buried in it, and I asked them to come and see. The man had no objection. He was blinded by greed. The woman said she would wait on horseback. It was natural for her to say so, at, th at the sight of a thick grove. To tell you the truth, my plan worked just as I wished, so I went into the grove with him, leaving her behind alone. The grove is only bamboo for some distance. About fifty yards ahead, there's a rather open clump of cedars. It was a convenient spot for my purpose. Pushing my way through the grove, I told him a plausible lie, that the treasures were buried under the cedars. When I told him this, he pushed his laborious way toward the slender cedar visible through the grove. After a while, the bamboo thinned out, and we came to, a no to, a, uh, to where a number of cedars grew in a row. As soon as we got there, I seized him from behind. Because he was a trained, sword-bearing warrior, he was quite strong, but he was taken by surprise, so there was no help for him. I, I soon tied him up to the root of a cedar. Where did I get a rope? Thank heaven, being a robber, I had a rope with me, since I might have to scale a wall at any moment. Of course it was easy to stop him from calling out by gagging his mouth with fallen bamboo leaves. When I disposed of him, I went to his woman and asked her to come and see him. 
because he seemed to have suddenly taken sick. It's needless to say that this plan also worked well. The woman, her sedge hat off, came into the depths of the grove, where I led her by the hand. The instant she caught sight of her husband, she drew a small sword. I'd never seen a woman of such violent temper. If I'd been off guard, I'd have a th I'd have got a thr thrust in my side. I dodged, but she kept on slashing at me. She might have wounded me deeply or killed me, but I'm Tajimaru. I managed to strike down her small sword without drawing my own. The most spirited woman is defenseless without a weapon. At last, at least I could satis my, satisfy my desire for her without taking her husband's life. Yes, without taking his life. I had no wish to kill him. I was about to run away from the grove, leaving the woman behind in tears, when she frantically clung to my arm. In broken fragments of words, she asked that either her husband or I die. She said it was more trying than death to have her shame known to two men. She gasped out that she wanted to be the wife of whichever survived. Then a furious desire to kill him seized me. Gloomy excitement. Telling you in this way, no doubt I, see, I seem a crueler man than you. But that's because you didn't see her face, especially her burning eyes at that moment. As I saw her eye to eye, I wanted to make her my wife even if I were to be struck by lightning. I wanted to make her my wife. This single desire filled my mind. This was not only lust, as you might think. At that time, I'd, if I'd had no other desire than lust, I'd surely not have minded knocking her down and running away. Then I wouldn't have stained my sword with his blood. But the moment I gazed at her face in the dark grove, I decided not to leave there without killing him. But I didn't like to resort to unfair means to kill him. I untied him and told him to cross swords with me. The rope that was found at the root of the cedar is the rope I dropped at the time. Furious with anger, he drew his thick sword, and, quick as thought, he sprang at me ferociously, without speaking a word. I didn't tell you how our fight turned out. The twenty-third stroke? Please remember this. I'm impressed with this fact still. Nobody under the sun has ever clashed swords with me twenty strokes. A cheerful smile. When he fell, I turned toward her, lowering my blood-stained sword. But to my great astonishment, she was gone. I wondered to where she had run away. I looked for her in the clump of cedars. I listened, but only a groaning sound from the. I listened, but heard only a groaning sound from the throat of the dying man. As soon as we started to cross swords, she may have run away through the grove to call for help. When I thought of that, I decided it was a matter of life and death to me. So, robbing him of a so sword, bow, and arrows, I ran out to the mountain road. There I found her horse grazing quietly. It would be a mere waste of words to tell you the later details, but before I entered town I had already parted with the sword. That's all my confession. I know that my head will be hung in chains anyway, so put me down for the maximum penalty. A defiant attitude. The Confession of a Woman Who Has Come to the Shimizu Temple The man in the blue silk kimono, after forcing me to yield to him, laughed mockingly as he looked at my bound husband. How horrified my husband must have been! But no matter how hard he struggled in agony, the rope cut into him all the more tightly. In spite of myself, I ran stumblingly toward his side. Or rather, I tried to run toward him, but the man instantly knocked me down. Just at that moment, I saw an indescribable light flash in my husband's eyes.
something beyond expression. His eyes make me shudder even now. That instantaneous look of my husband, who couldn't speak a word, told me all his heart. The flash in his eyes was neither anger nor sorrow, only a cold light, a look of loathing. More struck by the look in his eyes than by the blow of the thief, I called out in spite of myself and fell unconscious. In the course of time I came to and found that the man in the blue silk kimono was gone. I saw only my husband still bound to the root of the cedar. I raised myself from the bamboo blades with difficulty and looked into his face, but the expression in his eyes was just the same as before. Beneath the cold contempt in his eyes there was hatred, shame, grief, and anger. I don't know how to express my heart at that time. Reeling to my feet, I went up to my husband. Takahiro, I said to him, since things have come to this pass, I cannot live with you. I'm determined to die, but you must die too. You saw my shame. I can't leave you alive as you are. This was all I could say. Still he went on gazing at me with loathing and contempt. My heart breaking, I looked for his sword. It must have been taken by the robber. Neither his sword nor his bow and arrows were to be seen in the grove, but fortunately my small sword was lying at my feet. Raising it overhead once more, I said, Now give me your life. I'll follow you right away. When he heard this wor these words, he moved his lips with difficulty. Since his mouth was stuffed with bamboo, bamboo leaves, of course his voice could not be heard at all. But at a glance I understood his words. Despising me, his look said only, kill me. Neither conscious nor unconscious, I stabbed the small sword through the lilac-colored kimono into his breast. Again, at this time, I must have fainted. By the time I managed to look up, he had already breathed his last, still in bonds. A streak of sinking sunlight streamed through the clump of cedars and bamboos and shone on his pale face. Gulping down my sobs, I untied the rope from his dead body. And, and what has become of me since I have no more strength to tell you? Anyway, I hadn't the strength to die. I stabbed my own throat with a small sword, I threw myself into a pond at the foot of the mountain, and I tried to kill myself in many ways. Unable to end my life, I'm still living in dishonor. A lonely smile. Worthless as I am, I must have been forsaken, even by the most merciful Quanon. I killed my own husband. I was violated by the robber. Whatever can I do? Whatever can I... I... Gradually, violent sobbing. The story of the murdered man as told through a medium. After violating my wife, the robber, sitting there, began to speak comforting words to her. Of course I couldn't speak. My whole body was tied fast to the root of a cedar. But meanwhile I winked at her many times, as much to say, don't believe the robber. I wanted to convey some such meaning to her. But my wife, sitting dejectedly on the bamboo leaves, was looking hard at her lap. To all appearance, she was listening to his words. I was agonized by jealousy. In the meantime, the robber went on with his clever talk from one subject to another. The robber finally made his bold, brazen proposal. Once your virtue is stained, you won't get along well with your husband, so won't you be my wife instead? It's my love for you that made me violent toward you. While the, while the criminal talked, my wife raised her face as if in a trance. 
She had never looked so beautiful as at that moment. What did my beautiful wife say in answer to him while I was sitting bound there? I am lost in space, but I have never thought of her answer without burning with anger and je jealousy. Truly, she said, then take me away with you wherever you go. This is not the whole of her sin. If that were all, I would not be so tormented in the dark. When she was going out of the grove as if in a dream, her hand in the robber's, she suddenly turned pale and pointed at me tied to the root of the cedar, and said, Kill him! I cannot marry you as long as he lives. Kill him, she said many times, as if she had gone crazy. Even now these words threatened to blow me headlong into the bottomless abyss of darkness. Has such a hateful thing come out of a human mouth ever before? Have such cursed words ever struck a human ear, even once? Even once such a, a sudden cry of scorn. At these words the robber himself turned pale. Kill him, she cried, clinging to his arms. Looking hard at her, he answered neither yes or no. But hardly had I thought about his answer before she had been knocked down into the bamboo leaves. Again, a cry of scorn. Quietly folding his arms, he looked at me and said, What will you do with her? Kill her or save her? You only have to nod. Kill her? For these words alone, I'd like to pardon his crime. While I hesitated, she shrieked and ran into the depths of the grove. The robber instantly snatched at her, but he failed to even grasp her sleeve. After she ran away, he took up my sword and my bow and arrows. With a single stroke, he cut one of my bonds. I remember his bumbling, my fate is next. Then he disappeared from the grove. All was silent after that. Now, I heard someone crying. Untying the rest of my bonds, I listened carefully, and I noticed that it was my own crying. I raised my exhausted body from the foot of the cedar. In front of me, there was shining the small sword which my wife had dropped. I took it up and stabbed it into my breast. A bloody lump rose to my mouth, but I didn't feel any pain. When my breast grew cold, everything was as silent as the dead in their graves. What profound silence! Not a single bird note was heard in the sky over this grave in the hollow of the mountains. Only a lonely light lingered on the cedars and the mountains. By and by, the light gradually grew fainter, till the cedars and bamboo were lost to view. Lying there, I was enveloped in deep silence. Then someone crept up to me. I tried to see who it was, but darkness had already been gathering round me. Someone... That someone drew the small sword softly out of my breast in its invisible hand. At the same time, once more, blood flowed into my mouth, and once and for all, I sank down into the darkness of space. Alright, that's the end of our short story in a grove. Again, we didn't really get a resolution to the murder mystery. Um, and the this uh, kind of air of mystery and suspense and confusion that has been created has a lot to do with how um, the story was written. So um, the events that happened had all happened in the past when um, all of these testimonies are uh, being told. So the events have already happened. We're getting retellings of how they happened from each of the characters. Now there's also kind of this element of an unreliable narrator here. And an unreliable narrator, um, let me give you a definition. Um, an unreliable narrator is one that you can
can't really take what they say as truth. It's a narrator whose credibility is compromised, um, whether that be because they are clinically insane or, um, like, well, in this case, everything kind of contradicts each other. So we don't know who to believe, and none of the narrators seem really reliable. They all have a bit of bias, and considering that at the heart of all of this, there's, um, a very serious crime that's been committed, uh, we can't really take anything that they say as truth. Um, yeah. So, not only is there this element of unreliable narrator, but also, um, how the story is written in testimonies and the fact that it happens after the events of the story. So, we're getting all these testimonies and they're kind of retelling the same events over and over. Um, but it's all in a different way and it's all, they're all like flashbacks. And so the real confusion that's um, presented here in the story is, is from all of these contradictions and the fact that we don't know who to trust. There are all of these characters and there are all of these contradictions about um, their weapons and where they were and how they got there. And all of these contradictions further add to the confusion that the um, reader is in, but we definitely know that there's something fishy going on here. Alright, now let's talk about who we think actually was the one that committed the murder. Uh, going through the testimonies, we start with the woodcutter. Now, the woodcutter doesn't seem to have any relation to anyone involved in the crime itself. He seems kind of unbiased. He just happened to come across the crime scene and he's talking about what he found there. So, um, just to review the important stuff, um, it does seem like the grove he's at is the grove where, um, the crime happened. Um, so the body is in a blue kimono and has a headdress of the Kyoto style. Um, we also know that the body was there for a little while, um, the blood is no longer running, and it died from a sword stroke, um, in the chest. Um, and then other things found at the murder scene were a rope and a comb. Now, the rope does come up a couple times later, but we never see the comb again, so we're kind of led to believe, is this a red herring? Does this have some relevance that we, um, haven't come across, um, but the rope is definitely mentioned in Tajamaru's confession. He says he uses it to tie up the husband, and, uh, well, it comes up in every confession. The wife says that, um, she killed him while he was in his bonds, and then she untied him, and then, um, the, uh, dead man also says that, um, he, he died when he was, um, in bondage, so. That's the first one. Now we have the traveling Buddhist priest. Um, he says he sees the couple. Um, they have the horse. Um, another thing that might be a little misleading um, is the bow and arrows. In this, he mentions that there were some 20-odd arrows in his quiver. And the only other time the bow and arrows is mentioned is um, by the police officer who found Tajimaru, the robber. Um, and he says that there were 17 arrows. So this could be just not relevant at all. Uh, we could kind of think, uh, is there more that they're not telling us here? We don't really know. We know that the wife was wearing a scarf. Um, she also was wearing a lilac colored suit. 
Um, yes, that is, that's the Buddhist priest. Then we go to the policeman. He says he arrested Tajimaru, who was wearing a blue silk kimono, um, and a large plain sword. And so, um, it also says that he has the sorrel, um, and the sword and the bow and arrows. Um, but he, the wife was not with him there. The old woman is kind of a suspicious, um, testimony here. She's the mother of the daughter. Um, she says that, uh, Takihiko's name was Kanazawa. At first she, she says his name was Kanazawa. No, Takihiko. So that's a little, a little suspicious. Um, she also says he was of gentle disposition, which doesn't really match anything else that we see, uh, throughout the rest of the testimonies. But again, these testimonies, we don't know who to believe. Um, and yeah, and then another suspicious thing was that she kind of forgets the robber's name here, Tajimaru, um, which is a little odd considering um, he supposedly killed her son-in-law. All right, now Tajimaru's confession, he says that he um, killed the husband, um, that he bested him in combat. Um, uh, he says that he did not kill the woman. Um, she got away. Um, another funny thing, um, that we're talking about here is that there was no sword found, um, at the crime scene. So it's kind of a little, a, a little, a lot confusing. Um, but he says he never, uh, killed the wife. He also doesn't explicitly say that he killed the husband. He just said he beat him, um, with 23 strokes. Uh, yeah. Alright, now, the confession of the woman, um, she describes the robber as the man in the blue silk kimono. Now, let's remember, the body that was found was in a blue silk kimono, and the man that found the body doesn't really have any reason to lie about the body. So, now we're left to wonder, is the body with the blue, in the blue silk kimono actually Tajimaru, not the husband, Takahiko? Who knows? Uh, but she says that she killed her husband. Um, she doesn't say what she... She says she unties his body, which is a little interesting. Um, but she also says she's unable to kill herself, which is a little weird. Um, and then she doesn't talk about what she does with her sword. So we don't know if she supposedly left it there or what. Um, and then the murdered man says that um, he killed himself with her, with his wife's, um, sword. And if we're supposed to believe this, it would be weird that, um, he, uh, killed himself and then there was no sword found. So at the end of this testimony, he also says that, um, someone comes and pulls the sword out of his chest. And so we're left to wonder who that was. Um, so it's a very much suspicious. Now let's get into what, who, what I think happened and who I think did it. Um, I think that the plot of this of these events um, has everything to do with the relationship between um, the wife and the husband and the um, mother of the uh, mother grandmother of the wife. Um, yeah, the mother of the wife. Um, so, I think that um, Takehiko, 
or Kanazawa, whoever that is, because we don't really know his real name, um, and uh, Masago, the wife, um, are actually the ones at fault here. They are like a Bonnie and Clyde type couple. They killed Tajimaru. Um, Tajimaru is the body that was found. He was wearing a blue silk kimono and the body was in a blue silk kimono. Another thing was that um, a Kyoto style headdress was found uh, with the body and Tajimaru, the robber, who I think is the body, not Takahiko, the husband, um, Tajimaru was from Kyoto. Um, so that again leads us to believe that the body is in fact Tajimaru. Now, I think that the old woman's testimony is put here to cover up the actions of Takahiko and Masago, but it doesn't really do a great job. First of all, she kind of explicitly emphasizes that the corpse found was her son-in-law, which is a little weird. Um, and then she also messes up his name, her son-in-law's name. Uh, which, again, is a little suspicious. It seems like she's trying to conceal something, that he's not actually who they say he is. Um, she also says he has a gentle disposition, which, again, doesn't match up to anything we see um, in the rest of the story. Um, and she also forgets the robber's name, which, again, is suspicious. I would think you would remember who uh, the man was that killed your son-in-law. So, um, I think that the old woman is covering this up. Now, you might say, well, the policeman said that he arrested Tajimaru. Wouldn't the policeman know? Um, I think that this, um, testimony is a little, a little ambiguous, you could say. He says, quote, for the record, I might say that the other day I tried to arrest him, but unfortunately he escaped. He was wearing a dark blue silk kimono and a large plain sword. Now, that quote, it doesn't say that when he arrested him this time, he was wearing a dark blue silk kimono. Um, he, it kind of says in that context that the other day he was wearing a dark blue silk kimono. So that leads us to believe that um, the body that was found is Tajimaru wearing a dark blue silk kimono. Now, we have the little bow and the arrows um, thing here. We know that whoever was the man that was arrested was found without the wife. Now, I think that there was a little scuffle between them, an argument or something, and um, the husband and the wife got into a little, again, a like some sort of conflict and some bows were fired or some arrows were fired um so that's why they are missing and i think that they each went their separate ways and um now the husband is pre pretending to be tajimaru now you might be asking well why is the husband pretending to be tajimaru he's literally saying oh put me down for the maximum sentence I have done so wrong. Now, I think the reason that Tajimaru killed, or, I'm sorry, that Takahiko, the husband, killed Tajimaru, the robber, um, was because Tajimaru violated um, Takahiko's wife, Masago. Um, now, this is, there's a lot of this, um, these motivations going on at this point uh, between Masago, Tajimaru, and Takahiko about killing the husband or the wife running, running away out of shame. So I think that Takahiko um, killed um, Tajimaru because of this. But he didn't want to, um, yeah, to 
get his wife in trouble. So he's going to the police saying, oh, I'm Tajimaru. I'm the one that killed him. Um, I don't know what happened to the wife. So he's protecting his wife in this sense. Because the wife um, is confessing, but she's confessing at a temple. She's like um, confessing her sins. She's not going to get arrested. Um, so I think that the uh, husband is, again, protecting the wife by claiming to be Tajimaru, so, and he feels bad for killing the man, um, so he goes and confesses, and the wife will stay safe. Now, you might also be wondering, well, the, the dead man says that his wife, um, is going, like, he's talking about his wife as if he's Takahiko, he's the husband. Now, I think that this is unreliable. We don't really know. It, it never explicitly says that this is Takahiko. It says the story of the murdered man. Um, now, there also might be a little a bit more um, complex relationship here. That maybe Tajimaru, the robber, was the husband of Masago, um, the wife. And Takahiko is actually Takahiko, the samurai, um, but doesn't... Um, isn't married to Masago, and only, and it's kind of reversed, so it's like, Takahiko killed Tajimaru because he violated, I don't know, we, we don't really know, it's a, a little fishy, but I don't think I can trust the story of the murdered man, um, at all, yeah, I don't like him, I, I don't like this testimony, um, I think it's a little suspicious, um, and then the last thing is that the, uh, husband, Takahiko, is supposedly a samurai. Now, we're looking at Tajimaru's confession, who I think is Takahiko, um, and he says, oh, the man came and, and he was so greedy, and that's how I lured him into the mountains. Now, if you know anything about a samurai, you know that they're not supposed to be tempted by greed. They're not super involved. They're not super attached to uh, material things. So it seems a little out of character for him to be greedy. Okay, because um, at this point in Japan, they weren't really involved in commerce. That's just a historical thing, but I don't think that this is the case. So I think Tajimaru is coming up with this thing. Oh, you know, um, he, he, he was so greedy and he wanted to sell stuff. No, I don't think that's the case. I think this is Takahiko um, making up this story. Um, another thing that is suspicious is that... Um, Takahiko is supposed to be a samurai, and yet this robber dude is supposed to have bested him in combat. I don't believe that for a second. Um, yeah, end of story. Don't think that Tajimaru, this bandit, could have bested a samurai in combat. So I think that um, uh, Takahiko, the husband, um, is a samurai whose wife was violated by the robber, and in turn, he killed Tajimaru. Tajimaru is the body that was found um, in the blue silk kimono and the Kyoto headdress. He is described as wearing a blue silk kimono multiple times throughout the text, and he's also from Kyoto, so it makes sense that he would be wearing a Kyoto-style headdress. Um, lastly, the reason that the husband is confessing here is because he's, he wants to protect the wife. He doesn't want her to be involved in, in, in any of this crime stuff. Um, he cares about her, so he confesses as Tajimaru pretending to be him um, so that that'll be all set and the mother of the um, wife is covering up for them as well. So yeah, that's my analysis of this. Again, um, 
there are a lot of contradictions with it within this. I'm sure you could disprove that claim. Um, that's just what I think based on what I've seen. Um, and that's what aligns most for me. And it also makes me feel like I'm a detective. Like, I think I figured this out pretty good. So, yeah. Um, again, the really important element of literature in this um, story is how it's told. It's the different confessions and all the contradictions that happen and because the events have already taken place it just completely adds to the confusion of it and it's what makes it such a genius um, story. So if you're trying to write a murder mystery and confuse every reader, write it like this. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I also find it very interesting that Ryunosuke Kudagawa is dead and we don't know the solution to this, um, which makes it all the more um, suspenseful and confusing. Um, so that's our episode for today. Hope you enjoyed. Um, again, you can check out the, um, the story in a grove. Um, share your own um, analyses of what has happened, who committed the murder, and I'll see you next time. This is Lila Schlissel, here to thank you for listening to the English Students' Digest. We hope to see you again sometime.